What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. Abraham, Moses, and David are without a doubt the most esteemed characters in the Old Testament. The reason why I say that is because they are referenced, generally speaking, more than any other character. And in the Old Testament, you have all the writers from the prophets to the Psalms everywhere referencing them. You go into the New Testament and you find those three characters mentioned over and over and over and over again. Abraham, of course, was the founding member of the nation of Israel with God calling him away from his own hometown to go to another place to begin a nation. David, of course, was the man after God's own heart, a very spiritual man. And was appointed and ordained to be king and anointed king in Israel. Of course, typifying a greater king to come. And that king's name is Jesus. And that brings me to the character of Moses. Moses is, in fact, I would say, elevated in my mind a little bit higher than David, even though David was a king. Elevate a little bit higher than Abraham, even though Abraham is literally the father of the nation of Israel. And the reason why I say that is because Moses is described as the Redeemer. One who was chosen by God to help redeem God's people out of the land of Egypt. We read about that in the book of Exodus. He's also a man that in the wilderness journey was called up to Mount Sinai. And we can call him the lawgiver. He received God's law from the ultimate lawgiver to give God's people God's law. And he's also described as deliverer. You see, throughout the wilderness journey, the people of Israel were swayed one way to the other, and oftentimes they were very, very hungry. They got up to the Red Sea and they were complaining to Moses, We should have stayed in Egypt. And there, the deliverer raised his hand and his rod, and God sent that strong east wind and part of the Red Sea. And, excuse me, miracle after miracle after miracle, God used Moses to perform. Of course, Moses' life is just a simple picture of a greater life to come, a greater deliverer, a greater redeemer, and a greater lawgiver. And his name is simply Jesus. And the title of my message today is simply this, The Ministry of the Promised Messiah. Last time we looked at the birth of the promised Messiah. But he came wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, not to stay there, but to grow up to be a minister of ministers, a servant of servants, and a preacher of preachers, and a prophet of prophets. If you remember last time, there's a statement that I want to reiterate again today. In every message until Christmas Day, and that is this, prophecy affirms Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. In fact, prophecy is one of the major reasons why I believe the Bible is the, is, is the true word of God. You have all of these prophecies that were predicted many, many, many years before Jesus came into existence, at least in flesh existence. 
And today, I want to look at the prophecy surrounding his ministry. So what does the, the Bible, or what does prophecy teach us about the ministry of the Messiah? I'm glad you asked that today, because the first thought I'm going to share with you is based from our passage that we read a few moments ago. And it's this. The Messiah would be a prophet like Moses. Of course, Scripture reveals that Moses is accredited to writing these first five books of the Bible, known as the Torah, known as the Pentateuch. And here in Deuteronomy, it is essentially a, a, a book of law that God gave to Moses to give to the people of Israel. And here, Moses is writing by divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse number 15 of chapter 18, and he writes about how there will one day come a greater prophet from within the midst of Israel. And this is, of course, a prediction of the Messiah, a prediction that, that just as Moses was leading the charge of the nation of Israel out of the land of Egypt, the Messiah would come and lead his people out of a greater city of bondage called the sins of this world. But in John chapter 7 and Acts chapter 3, we read about the fulfillment. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to take them and turn to John chapter 7. We will not turn to Acts chapter 3, but in John chapter 7, of course, John is writing kind of like a defense of why he's a believer and trying to get these people converted about why he believes Jesus is the Son of God. In other words, he is God in flesh. And in John chapter 7, verses 40 through 42, we read, it says, Many of the people, therefore, when they had heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Going back to what Moses said in the law, how there would arise a prophet that would be greater than even Moses, and greater than even David, and greater than even Abraham. And here, these Jews realized that this was Jesus whom Moses was referring to. And said, others said in verse 41, this is the Christ. The prophet would be a great preacher. He would also be the Christ, the anointed one. That is Messiah, who would come and to die a sinner's death. And said, and these others are looking around and said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? They recognize that this Jesus was from Galilee. But, but then they say in verse number two, 42 that, that Christ comes from the seed of David and out of Bethlehem where David was born. And there are many times that these religious people failed to observe that Jesus might have grew up in Nazareth and in Galilee, but he was born in Bethlehem, as Micah the prophet said. We see that this Messiah would be a prophet like Moses. As the great writer of yesterday said that he is prophet and he is priest and he is king. And my friends today, I wonder, is he your prophet? I wonder, is he your priest? I wonder, is he the king of your heart that reigns supreme? What does prophecy teach us about the ministry of the Messiah? Well, first of all, that he would be a prophet like Moses. But secondly, today, I want to share with you this. The Messiah would be tempted by Satan. The Messiah would be tempted by Satan. This takes us back to Psalm 91, where Psalm 91 is quoted in the New Testament and not quoted by necessarily Paul or Peter or James and John, but quoted by Satan himself in Matthew chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 4, where Jesus is being tested by Satan. 
in Psalm 91, in verses 10 through 12, it says, There shall no evil befall him or befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. It's interesting, if you study the Gospel of Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4, you will realize that Jesus just came out of the wilderness and out of a time of fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And in Matthew chapter 4, we see that, that the Bible says that Jesus is led by the Spirit and he is being tempted of Satan. He's being tested. The writer of Hebrews says that he was tested or tempted in all points just like you and me in thought and word and deed. And we read about that here in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. But it's interesting. Satan, by the way, you may not realize this, he's been around a whole lot longer than you or me. And he knows scripture a whole lot better than you and me and most likely combined. And that's why it's important that we're in the word daily and we're digging deep into God's word, trying to understand it. Because if we don't understand it, he can use it and deceive many. And he already has today. And the spirit of Satan, the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well in this generation right now. But in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 5, the Bible says that Satan takes Jesus into this holy city. And sets him at the very pinnacle or the very highest point of the temple. There to look out this vast empire. And he says to Jesus... He says, if you are the son of God, cast yourself down. For it is written, Satan quotes Psalm 91, verses 10 through 12. But notice what Jesus says. Jesus responds in verse number 7. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Today, my friends, I want to encourage you. That when you are up against the testings and trials of life and the temptations of life, understand that, that, that Jesus has underwent and undergone all of the similar things, but he did not fail. And that's why he's the Messiah. That's why he's Christ, the anointed one. Today we have great hope in him because he conquered not just death, not just hell, but even the powers of darkness and Satan himself. And through Jesus... We can overcome the temptations and tribulations in this life. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. I love what James said. He said, blessed is that man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive that crown of life. My friends, every time you, you succeed through the testings of life, God has a crown waiting for you with your name on it. As we progress forward, we know that he was born. We know that he came to live amongst humanity. And he would be like a prophet, such as Moses. We know that he would be tempted by Satan, just like we are. But we also note, thirdly today, that the Messiah would be baptized. The Messiah would be baptized. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 11 and Isaiah chapter 61 speaks about the anointing of the Messiah. How he'd be anointed by God's Spirit to preach the gospel to the poor and to do all these miracles and do all these signs. But it's in Luke chapter 3 
where we see this anointing to be inaugurated. You know, we think about that inauguration service with the President of the United States, how he is inaugurated into office. And in a sense, when Jesus was baptized, I'm inclined to believe that that was the inauguration of his ministry. And if, and if you would, it would be the moment when Jesus was anointed to go out and serve and to do what he was called to do. And for three to three and a half years, there he went, preaching and teaching and serving. But it began right there in the baptism of John the Baptist. And there we see in Luke chapter 3 that, that John says, I'm not worthy to even tie your shoes, much less baptize you. And there he did. And we see one of the most clearest depictions of the triune God where the voice of God the Father is speaking, the Spirit of God is descending upon the Son of God right there. We see the triune God at work. And that being said, Jesus declares to us at the end of his life or end of his ministry, right before he ascended, that we are to go into all the world and not just preach the gospel and not just make disciples and not just teach all nations, all things, but also to baptize. It is a clear command of scripture that we are to follow the Lord in believers' baptism. And so let us follow his example. As he went down into that water and came back up, he left that Jordan River to go teach and preach. And that leads us to the fourth thought today. What does prophecy teach us about the ministry of the Messiah? Well, it teaches us, fourthly, that the Messiah would teach in parables. These are stories, if you will, illustrations, if you will, that were to be done for only those that God called to understand. These Pharisees and these Sadducees and all these religious people who were antagonistic against God and against the Son of God, Jesus spoke in that way so they would not be able to understand. Isn't that something? When, when, when I speak of a story or tell you a story like I will here in just a few moments, or you tell me a story if you're giving a lesson, many times it's so that everybody could understand. But Jesus spoke in these parables so that only the believers could understand. Fascinating. But in Psalm 78 and in verse number two, we read a prediction of the psalmist about this. It says, in verse number one, it says, give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. But then verse number two, it says, I will open my mouth in parable, in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and have known, and our fathers have told us. And then in Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus begins to speak in all of these great parables, but in verse 35, he gives us the key to understanding where it says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Jesus was a man who preached, but he often preached in a way that certain people would not understand. But to those who did understand, to them received his great blessing. 
Of course, he also preached those great sermons that we study. The Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount of Olives. But my friends, he came to preach in parables. And as he was preaching and teaching and all these different things, what came also with that was great signs and wonders through the form of miracles. And that leads us to the fifth thought today of what prophecy teaches us about the ministry of the Messiah. The Messiah would perform miracles. He would. And he did. And he is still performing miracles today. We can praise God for that. The greatest miracle was not just the the virgin birth, although that, that is at the very top of the list. But the greater miracle, I believe, is that Jesus rose from the grave. And that in association with his virgin birth and his resurrection... My friends, we have the great, miraculous new birth in Christ. And so any time a sinner cries out to God for salvation, it is an extension of the Messiah's great miracle of his death and his resurrection. Isaiah chapter 32, Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah chapter 42 speaks about the Messiah would come and do these signs and wonders. And in Matthew chapter 9, 11, and really all throughout the Gospels, we read about the miraculous power of Jesus Christ. You know, the last several days, I was very blessed to go to England. And for a couple of those days, I spent in London. And if you could just imagine, 8 million people crammed into this city. It's like New York City. But I got to go to the Metropolitan Tabernacle, where Charles Spurgeon was the pastor many, many years ago. The only thing that remains exactly the same are the pillars upon the front of the church building. You see, in the early 1900s, it caught fire. And then in World War II, there was a lot of bombs that destroyed the facility. So they rebuilt it. But every time they rebuilt it, the sanctuary, it was smaller and smaller each time. But still, there was probably 1,000 people there last Sunday morning. And there, Dr. Peter Masters, who's a pastor there for over 50 years, was preaching. And the worship service was vastly different than anything like here. You walk into the sanctuary and everybody is hushed quiet, sitting down in a spirit of prayer. The hymnals are even different. You open up the hymnals and there's like a thousand hymns in the hymnal with no music, only lyrics. The music accompanying the worship service was only an organ. And before you would stand and sing a song, they would play through a measure or two, and then they would stand, and then they would sing. But of course, the most important part of the worship service was the exposition of Scripture, the sermon, the homily, if you will. And there his text was Mark chapter 3. And in Mark chapter 3, we see a great miracle of Jesus. A man with a withered hand was instantly healed. And there he talked about that. And I find it interesting that that today we're speaking about these miracles. And and God, God the Father anointed God the Son to do these many miracles so that those could see that this was Messiah that would come. But I wonder, do you believe that he performs miracles today? You say, I'm not much of a believer in this miracle stuff. Well, the fact that you're alive is a miracle. The fact that the universe is even holding itself together is a miracle. The fact that the earth just doesn't spin out of orbit 
is a vast miracle, my friends. The fact that, 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 that the earth is not just a few feet closer to the sun or a few feet further away from the sun, that is a miracle. That everything is in place is a miracle of miracles. But the greatest miracle is the fact that I, the fact that you, the fact we as Christians get to spend eternity with the King of kings and Lord of lords in heaven. And the same Jesus that stepped into that man's life in Mark chapter 3 and healed his withered hand is the same Jesus that can step into your life and heal your broken soul. Prophecy affirms Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. But we're not done just yet. After his miracles, after his sermons, we see about a week before he would be dead. Sixth of all, the Messiah would enter Jerusalem triumphantly. What we call as Palm Sunday. Zechariah 9 verse 9 speaks about how the Messiah would march into the city of Jerusalem or the town of Jerusalem on a donkey. And in Matthew chapter 21 and Luke 19 and John 12, we read the fulfillment of that prophecy. And there the city was rejoicing, waving those palm branches and those leaves and, and rejoicing, crying Hosanna in the highest. Would soon turn treacherous would soon change their minds about this triumphant entry. And that brings us to the seventh and final thought today. That, that if you could just imagine, before I, I share the seventh thought, is, is, is that Jesus is greater than Moses, Jesus is greater than David. Jesus is greater than Abraham, the three greatest figures in the Jewish mind. That Jesus was anointed by God's Spirit. He was baptized there in the Jordan. He overcome the temptations of Satan. He did all these signs and wonders and miracles. He spoke in parables that they should have known about. He marched into Jerusalem on that donkey, as prophecy recorded. But that was not enough. For his own people to accept him. And so the tragedy of this story. Is that the Messiah. Would be rejected. By his own people. Isaiah 53. That great prophecy. Some 700 years give or take. Before Jesus was even. Born in Bethlehem. Reminds us. Where it says, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there shall, there is, excuse me, no beauty that we should desire him. Did you understand that? What it is saying is that when Jesus goes through the crucifixion, his body would be so ripped and torn that his own mother would not be able to recognize him. Verse three, he is despised and rejected of men 
a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. In John chapter 1, a verse that you probably have memorized, it says that he came into his own, and his own received him not. And in verse number 12, it says that, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The good news is, you don't have to reject this Messiah like the Jewish people did as a whole 2,000 years ago. You can accept this great gift. You can accept the amazing eternal life and salvation from God the Father through Jesus Christ. It says, as many as received him. This gospel message is open to the whole wide world, my friends. Man, woman, boy, or girl, Jew or Gentile, you can cry out to him and, and say, God, save me. You see, it doesn't even end there. Yes, he was rejected by his own people, but he was betrayed by one of his own followers that he handpicked for 30 pieces of silver, which doesn't amount to much, by the way. And he was betrayed and brought before the Sanhedrin and condemned to death. You know, this past week, I set out on a unique journey to walk through the footsteps of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And it was a trip of a lifetime in so many different ways. And I can't begin to share with you all the memories that I have, but I want to share this with you, that my trip took me to a city named Gloucester to go visit an Anglican church where a guy by the name of George Whitfield preached his very first sermon. George Whitfield was the prince of preachers to Spurgeon, who now is the prince of preachers. George Whitfield was a man mightily touched by God, along with John and Charles Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church, who came to the Americas, and at one time in the Americas, right here in the United States, before it ex its major expansion, there was a Methodist chapel in every single county. There in the same church, a guy by the name of Robert Rakes is buried. And he was the founder of the Sunday school. Which Spurgeon, at three o'clock in the afternoon, they had their evangelistic Sunday school. But as I was reminded on this unique journey going to London and England and all these different places of how commercialized this time of the year is. Christmas trees everywhere to be purchased, to be decorated. All gifts to buy, all these different things. And the temptation that we have is to say that Christmas is so commercialized, therefore we should not celebrate Christmas. But I submit to you today that in the midst of all the commercialization of Christmas, that this is a time that we need to make the banner of salvation higher than ever. To declare the news that the Messiah came to live a sinless life, 
They are born in the stable. They are dying on the cross. They are resurrected and ascended up on high. This is the time now that we should get out our megaphones and share it with everybody. Because it's a time where people's hearts are softened, softened to the good news. And so, my friends, prophecy affirms to us that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. But my question is, is he your promised Messiah? What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.